Welcome back to Brojo Online. I'm Dan Monroe. Today we're going to be talking about worrying and the associated paranoia that we live with almost every day. We're going to dive into worrying and have a look at what it actually is, why it happens, how ineffective it is, and what kind of choices and control you have over it. This is Brojo Online. Masculinity, confidence, and integrity. So what is worrying? Well, it sucks. That's what it is. There's a belief we have that worrying is a form of planning, isn't it? It's thinking about what could happen in the future, particularly focused on the potential negative outcomes, the painful, harmful outcomes. Worrying is a form of imagination, isn't it? You're assuming things could or would happen, They aren't happening yet, you're imagining them happening. And you imagine your reaction to them happening, and often, as you do so, you actually experience that reaction emotionally in the moment, even though nothing's happening yet. It's important to differentiate worrying from planning and preparation. Planning and preparation is emotionally neutral. And it's based on reason and facts and evidence. It's thinking, this is likely to happen, so this is how I'll deal with it. And if that doesn't happen, this is how I'll deal with that. And away we go. Worrying's quite different. Worrying is more like, oh no, this might go wrong. And when it does, it will be a disaster. Poor me. And then there's no moving forward, or very little. Or you move forward very anxiously and afraid. So really the main difference between worrying and planning is emotions and movement into action. So two differences. So with planning, you're quite neutral emotionally. Or you might even be excited or inspired. You might actually feel good about it. Or at the very least, even if you're planning for something that's negative, you're just kind of resigned and accepting. The plan is just to get you through it like planning how you're going to finish your prison sentence. You're just getting through something that's unpleasant, but it's not a huge emotional reaction. And after the plan is complete, you then take action on it. That's how you know it was definitely a plan, because you move forward with action after the completion of the plan, and the plan is complete. It's a step-by-step process that comes to an end, and then you act on it and adjust accordingly. Worrying on the other hand, comes with a huge emotional reaction from a low buzz of anxiety through to a heart-stopping panic and everything in between. And there's no step-by-step process. There's no rational kind of blueprint of how you're going to deal with the thing. It's more just an imagined experience of you dealing with it poorly or not being able to deal with it at all. It's you imagining something bad happening and then simultaneously imagining that you're not going to deal with it very well. And then your reaction to that, the emotional reaction you would have if you were in that situation, occurs to you in the present moment, before it's even happened. Let's say I'm planning to start my business. It might look like step one, reach out to 10 potential clients. Step two, offer them this, that and the other. Step three, measure how it went. And then I go and do it. That's planning. Worrying would be more like, oh my god, what if I reach out to someone 
and they just say I'm a fucking loser and that I shouldn't have my own business and then everybody laughs at me. That's not a plan, is it? And in fact, as you're imagining that thing happening, which isn't happening, at least not yet, you're actually feeling the rejection already. You're feeling the anxiety already. You're having an emotional experience as if it's occurring. And that's what worrying is. It's bringing an imagined experience from the future into the present and suffering. And the key thing I want to plant in your mind, no matter what else it is that I say on this podcast, when it comes to worrying, I want you to understand that you choose to do it. Anxiety is not a choice. The initial kind of thoughts that pop into your head about what might go wrong, that's not a choice. But dwelling in them and continuing to ponder them and dive deeper into them, that is a choice. Your reaction to the initial harbingers of anxiety and concern and turning that into worry, that's a choice you're making to do that. And if you can understand that, then you can control this. If you can make a different choice, you can basically eliminate worry from your life almost completely. Worrying is sometimes referred to as overthinking. Overthinking is a kind of subtle version of worry, and uh, quite a devious one because it gives you the impression that you're actually planning thoroughly. But when we say overthinking, we mean you've thought more than you need to. And what does that mean? It means you've already thought enough to take some sort of action to come to a decision, and now you're thinking even more. So now you're thinking over the point of efficiency. And sometimes it will, your brain will tell you that it's reasonable. Your brain will say, you know, you need to think about all these details and all these variables and all these potential outcomes. And you might not even feel anxiety. You might think, yeah, this is some good planning. I've been planning for days, weeks, months, considering every possible scenario. And yet, just five minutes into your thinking, you'd already arrived at the point where you could try something small. And yet you kept on thinking. Often you'll come all the way to making a decision and then you'll question the decision before you've even taken action on it and start rethinking again. So if you get to the point where you're thinking more than you need to to do something, even to just do something poorly, do it wrong, doesn't matter, just to do anything, then you're worrying. And you've got to be careful because it will seem reasonable. At least your brain will tell you that it's reasonable. Your brain will tell you that you're thinking of all the things you need to think of. Yet one of the things I learned, especially from something like dancing, you know, if I'm freestyle dancing with a partner, I've got to decide which movement I'm going to lead her into as I'm doing the current movement. So I'm always kind of a couple of steps ahead while trying to be present. But I can't think about it for very long. I just need to go this move and then just go for it. Because if I overthink it, we're just going to end up bumping into each other or pause or something. I don't have time to consider really more than one or two options. I usually think of one option and then I have a kind of a backup in my head in case that one goes wrong. And this is less than a second worth of thinking. And then I just go with it. And that's actually how all decision-making can take place. You'd be amazed at how quickly decisions can be made. It's seconds, even for big things, it's seconds, because the next action is always tiny, so you don't need to think much to come up with a tiny action. 
So if you're thinking for minutes, hours, weeks, months, you're definitely overthinking. If there's no action, just thinking and what you call planning, but you're not trying anything, you're worrying, and that's a choice. I spent most of my life worrying. I didn't really know it at the time because when you're doing something constantly, it doesn't stand out as being a thing. If you're always anxious, then anxiety is just your baseline, so you don't realize you're anxious. It's like a fish doesn't understand that it's in water because it's always been in water. And that's what I was like. I was always anxious. So I didn't really know what not being anxious felt like. I knew what different levels of anxiety felt like. But I was always at least like a 2 out of 10. You know, I was never a 0. Like, really never. Uh, Until I started doing work on myself. And my mind, the, the kind of cognitive manifestation of this anxiety, was just constant prediction of the future. I spent probably... 50% of my time focused on whatever task was in front of me, and the other 50% predicting what could go wrong in the future. That's a lot to spend half of your time imagining things going wrong. And to me, that was normal. And by half of the time, I don't mean like for the first four hours of the day I was present, and for the next four I was worrying. I mean, I was basically on and off with worrying every minute depending on the situation. And with the only exception of when I was on drugs or alcohol, which I guess is a drug, that was about the only time I stopped worrying. And that's why I was so into it when I was younger, because it's such a relief. But I know people who spend probably even more time worrying, up to 75% maybe. They're just constantly fixated on what might go wrong. And, And it escalates depending on the situation. Like if you're in a social situation with new people, You'll be in a conversation, and for most of that conversation, you're pre-planning what could go wrong and how to deal with that in the future. It spikes around unfamiliar situations, doesn't it? Worrying. The less familiar you are with something, the more you try to predict what could go wrong. And I've really got to emphasize that anxiety response you have, you suffer as if the thing you're imagining is real. I think it was Jim Carrey said something along the lines of there's a big difference between a dog biting you in your mind and an actual dog biting you. But a lot of people can't see that difference and so they suffer from a fight or flight reaction their entire lives. And that really is a great description of so many of the people I've met and worked with. They're almost constantly in flight or fight response Because they're imagining things that would require that response. And the brain doesn't know the difference between imagined and real. Because according to your brain, the mind, everything's imagined. Essentially, our whole life is kind of a hallucination. It's an interpretation of data received from our senses. We don't even really know what actual reality is. We just have our interpretation of it through our eyes and our ears and beliefs and biases and so on in the brain. So when you imagine something, it's according to your mind, it's no different actually being in that situation. So you have the emotional response of actually being in it. You know, have you ever imagined getting into a fight with someone and you actually feel your temperature go up and your muscles tense? You, your body's responding as if you're actually in the fight. And so you get this kind of thing that the Stoics talked about a lot, which is dying a thousand deaths before you ever get stabbed. So many people do that. They spend their whole life in this imaginary death world. 
but they're just constantly dying all these various deaths. And they're getting rejected and getting backstabbed and getting yelled at and all these things they imagine happening and going badly. And yet very rarely does it actually occur in real life. Think about the comparison of the number of rejections you've imagined happening versus the number of times somebody actually said, go fuck yourself. The difference, the ratio. I've had a lot of clients come to me and say things like, you know, every time I ask a girl out, she says no. And I go, well, how many times is that? And almost without exception, we're talking less than five, often less than three times in their entire lives. But in their mind, it's as if it's happening all the time because it is happening all the time in their imagination. They look at someone and imagine her embarrassing them, saying no, humiliating them. And they just imagine that like day after day after day. And so in their mind, they're getting rejected all the time. But in real life, it happens so rarely that it basically has never happened. And then worrying becomes a habit, doesn't it? It becomes you're just day-to-day life. You just worry all the time. Now, the real problem with this is the implication. See, when you're worrying, you think that you're thinking about things that could go wrong and the kind of unfairness of life and all this other stuff we'll get to in a minute. But what you're really doing is you're telling yourself a message. And the message is a simple one. And the message is a simple one. I can't handle it. That's what you're telling yourself. See, when you worry, what you're basically telling yourself is there are things that could go wrong and you're not going to be able to handle them, so you have to prepare for them. You're not going to be able to just wing it, spontaneously get through them. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not adaptable enough. Not quick enough. And so you need to think about them a lot before they happen. That's your only shot. So worrying is a kind of undermining of your self-efficacy. It's a way of saying, you're useless. You're not good enough. You're not going to be able to figure it out if it actually happens. So you have to try and figure it out now. It's like somebody has to take summer classes because they couldn't complete all the schoolwork in the normal term. When you worry, you're saying, look, you're going to have to experience this 50 times in your head before the real event because you won't be able to handle it without that practice. So you can see the connection between worrying and low self-confidence. They cause each other. The less self-confidence you have, the more likely you are to believe that you can't handle things. The more you can't handle things, the more likely you are to have low self-confidence. And so worrying becomes this kind of endless loop that doesn't really lead anywhere. We're going to get to this in a minute, but the difference between worrying and planning, not only is it what we've already talked about, but also worrying doesn't take you forward at all. I want you to notice that you probably, if you're a worrying type person, you've probably given a lot of credit to worry. You consider it to be a helpful tool of some kind that prepares you for stuff. But does it? Do you actually perform better with things you worry about compared to things that you just spontaneously handle? Now, I'm not talking about planning. We're not comparing being spontaneous with being well-planned and prepared, but spontaneous with worrying. When you worry about something for a week, do you do it better than if you didn't worry about it for a week? 
does worrying actually help? Because if it doesn't, and you're choosing to do it, then that is the most nonsensical behavior you could probably do. You're choosing something that not only doesn't help, probably makes it harder. You're more likely to just wing a speech by being thrown on stage and somebody says, just talk, than you are if you had to worry about it for four hours beforehand without any preparation. The more you worry about it, the more likely you are to freeze up. But if you're just thrown in the mix, you might actually have a chance. I don't know. You know maybe better than I do. Let's talk about why worrying happens. There's a word that started coming up in coaching after I've been doing it for a few years. Uh, it kind of caught me off guard, and the word is paranoia. I used to work with people who have paranoid schizophrenic disorder and you know schizotypal uh, personality disorders, things like that. And there was this paranoia theme. So people worried and very certain about bad things either happening or will be happening in the future, but without any evidence. I'm not sure what the dictionary definition of paranoia is, but I think of it as excessive worrying about a specific thing without evidence that you should be worried. Or with very little evidence, poor evidence. Like, for example, if a dog bit me once when I was a child, and every other dog has been kind to me, but I feel certain all the time that a dog's about to bite me, I'd call that paranoia. I'd be even more likely to call it paranoia if a dog had never bitten me, and yet I constantly worried about it happening. There's people who worry about being broke and being homeless, and yet have never been homeless. Or have been homeless only briefly. Like I was, I lived in a car for a couple of weeks when I was trapped in the United States because I ran out of travel money. It's not the classic story of homelessness or anything, you know, I was always going to get home, but I was definitely living on very meager resources. But if I was to take that small experience and spend the rest of my life worrying, about running out of money and being homeless, that would be paranoia. So paranoia is assuming something's out to get you. There's some hidden force or even a very uh, direct force, like if you're a conspiracy theorist, you think there's an actual you know, source for the suffering. You assume that it's targeted you for destruction and pain. And you get kind of confirmation bias. Every now and then something happens and you go, ah, see, that was it. And the paranoia is is affirmed and built. Uh, I was listening to Sam Harris talk about racism the other day, and he, he made an interesting point that if somebody's paranoid about racism, they'll assume every bad thing that happens to them is race-related, even when it's not. So, for example, if I'm, I don't know, if I'm a black guy and I get pulled over by police, I'll automatically assume it's because I'm black even though at least sometimes it's probably not the reason I got pulled over. But that's what paranoia does, is every time something happens to you, you assume it's part of this conspiracy against you. And this is where worrying comes from. Somebody has a bad social experience, they become sure that that's going to happen often, repeatedly. They're constantly worried about it happening. And then every time there's even a little bit of awkwardness, they're like, oh, see, that was it again. When in reality, they're just experiencing the normal, random occurrences of awkwardness that everyone goes through. They're not actually having a worse time than anyone else. 
except in their minds they're having a horrible time because they're constantly imagining horrible events so from their perspective they've got this horrible life but if you watch them from the outside it's usually a pretty mundane safe life like people who are worried about money all the time and yet if you watch their actual bank account it very rarely goes into the red in any sort of serious or dangerous way they always have a roof over their head they've always got food to eat So the worry that they have about their finances doesn't actually match the lifestyle that they've had for many years. They've never been homeless. They've never been in a situation where their finances were so bad that they actually suffered measurable harm other than the harm taking place inside their imagination. I had a client who had a very interesting paranoia. I won't share his personal details, but he kind of believed that people were basically out to get him. It was it was actually quite close to schizophrenia, and he may in fact be on the spectrum. But he had an experience. He was at an event once, and the audience at the event, a big audience, and he was just one of the crowd, they all turned on him for some reason. You know, one of those sort of spontaneous group bullying type of things that happens sometimes. Where everyone just kind of turns on someone, and it's almost like birds flocking. You don't really know who started it or who's controlling it. They all just have a hive mind and go for it. Anyway, he he basically got outed from this public event because the crowd just turned on him, a big crowd. And he can say sort of fair enough for being paranoid after that because that's a very nonsensical event. It doesn't it's very hard to understand something like that happening to you, trying to make sense of what happened or why it happened. But if you have another event close to that time, your brain connects the dots and goes see something's going on here this is a pattern and paranoia begins when in reality you can just be unlucky to have two weird events occur but one's even enough for your brain to come to a conclusion that there's a pattern brains aren't very great with turning off the pattern recognition system when it doesn't count we just constantly search for patterns whether they're relevant or coincidental we don't know the difference it's where all the biases are. We're constantly looking for proof that there's some sort of order to things. And this can lead to this paranoia. And the paranoia is really the base belief for worrying. The belief, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. Something's out to get me. Or all of the above. Drives this constant need to worry. This constant fight or flight preparation for the inevitable things that are going to go wrong. Now, of course, everybody has things go wrong, or at least things don't go to the preferred kind of outcome that you had in mind. That's universal. There's no one on this planet who has everything go right for them, though it might appear that way from the outside. And yet certain people worry as if they're somehow more at risk than other humans for things going wrong. See, if we all have stuff go wrong because of the way our brains work we can't accept everything that happens so we're always going to label some stuff as going wrong then there's really no point in worrying about it because it's inevitable it's just going to happen you can just wait for it to happen and appreciate when it's not happening but some people a lot of people really prefer instead to worry to constantly imagine it happening like it happening is bad enough that's going to occur maybe for some people every day But worrying about it happening multiplies it. You get to have it 
happen 10 times in your mind before it even happens in real life, making number 11, instead of just have it happening once. And of course, often it doesn't happen at all. Imagine how many times, like some of you are in a relationship right now, if you're like the jealous type, imagine how many times you've imagined your partner cheating on you and they've never cheated on you. So in your imagination, you've got this partner cheating on you every other day, every time she goes out with her girls or every time that you're away for the work trip. She's cheating on you, but in real life, she's never even cheated on you once. And yet you're suffering as if she's completely promiscuous. And again, I want to emphasize, that's a choice. The belief, the paranoia belief, that isn't a choice. But reacting to it by worrying is. Because what worrying really is, it's about trying to predict the future and plan for eventualities. But it never gets anywhere because you're always thinking about things you can't control. See, planning is always focused on what you can control. Your behavior, your decisions, the moves within your environment that you can reasonably influence. Worrying is almost always focused on the things you can't control. See, if I'm planning for public speaking, then I'll be writing the script and practicing it and focusing on my body language. That's planning. Worrying will be thinking about how the crowd's going to react to me or how strong my voice is going to be on the day. Things that I don't actually control. I work with a lot of guys who have sexual performance issues, which is based in anxiety. It's not a physical thing. And it's because they're worried about how hard their dick is going to be or how long they'll last, which are both things that they actually can't control. It might be your body, but it's, it's still not under your control, not consciously. Whereas somebody planning, if there is such a thing, to have good sex, they'd be focused on like trying to be present, lighting candles, you know, getting the massage oil ready or whatever, doing the stuff they can control. Stuff that even if their dick doesn't work, they've still got things they can do. Whereas somebody who's worried is constantly focused on those bits that they can't control. For most people, worrying is a social thing. The thing you're focused on that you can't control is usually other people's reactions to you. Other people's behavior. Even when you're worried about, say, money and finances, you're usually worried about how other people are going to behave with money and how that will affect you. So if I run my own business and I'm worried about money, then really I'm worried about whether or not people will sign up and pay me, which is their behavior. Or if I'm an employee, I'll be worried about whether my boss will keep employing me or whether they'll pay me on time. These are all other people's behaviors, which I know I can't control. So worrying always ends up looping. You never get to a conclusion with worrying because you never get to a point where you can control the outcomes. You're constantly thinking about things that deep down you know are out of your control. You might not know it consciously, but subconsciously you recognize it. And so you can never conclude the story in your head because you'll never get to a point like, ah, that's how I'll control it. Because you can't get there when it's somebody else's behavior. People, no matter how long you've known them, always have the capacity for being unpredictable. And you know that, which means you can never imagine a scenario that goes perfectly because it always has to take into account that people can be strange and confusing and surprising. But why do some people worry and some people don't? It's about trust. Do you trust yourself to handle the unexpected? 
confident people do trust themselves to handle this, and that's why they don't need to worry. I don't need to imagine things going wrong, because I know that when they do, I'll handle it. Handle it doesn't mean that it will go well and I'll get the outcomes I want. Handle it means that even if it doesn't go well, I'll survive. I will react, adapt, get through it somehow. At the very least, I'll learn a good lesson from it. And the thing is, my confidence letting me believe that is not based on some superior skill or talent. I'm not better than anyone listening to this. I've just been kind of woken up to the truth, which is the same truth for you. You've survived everything so far. Not trusting yourself to handle the unexpected is very unfair, because you've been handling it your entire life, and you're still here. I want you to think, just for a minute, try to imagine how many things have gone in a way that you didn't expect. Almost everything. Isn't it? Almost every time you've driven to work, the traffic wasn't exactly what you expected. Almost every time you have a conversation, the person doesn't say exactly what you thought or hoped that they would say. Every time you go to an event, it doesn't always look like. In fact, it never looks like what you thought it was going to look like. And it never goes exactly the way you thought it was going to go. And the weather's never exactly what you thought it was going to be. It's very rare that you get it right. You might think that you get it right a lot. But that's just a confirmation bias and a heuristic availability bias. You're just remembering the few times you got it right. Most of the time you're wrong. And if you think carefully, you'll realize that. And if you don't believe that, try it for the rest of the week. Actually write down your predictions of conversations and events and then review them after the fact and see if you were right. Down to the, like, the little details. What did the person say? At what time did it start raining? And so on. And see how often you're just at least a little bit wrong. To the point where you're basically wrong all the time in your predictions. At least in the details. So you've been like that your entire life. You've basically been wrong in your predictions your entire life and yet you're still here. So to say that you can't handle things going wrong is a ridiculously inaccurate, dishonest statement. Because you've been smashing it your whole life. Now, because you've had a lot of things going wrong in your imagination during this time, you feel like your, your memory of your life is one of constant failure. Yet that's not what actually happened. Because the proof is, right now, you're listening to me talk, which means you made it through everything. Everything. Did you have bad parents? Well, you made it through that. Did you get rejected a lot? You made it through that. Has your career been hard and unsuccessful? Well, you made it through that too. Have you had significant health problems? Guess what? Fucking made it through that. You've survived everything that life's thrown at you. Every potential wrong that could possibly be, you've probably experienced, and you're still standing. How could you not have faith in somebody with that kind of track record? How could you not believe in their ability to handle the unknown? when they've done it for exactly the number of years that you've been alive, without fail. So worrying is a choice to not trust yourself, despite the evidence that you are very trustworthy. Sure, you didn't do things the way you had hoped they would go. You didn't always get your ideal outcomes. But you certainly survived 
that baseline was well met. In fact, if you're the kind of person who's functional enough to listen to this podcast and understand what I'm saying and all that, you haven't even had significant enough physical injury or failure to become dysfunctional. Right? If you're listening to me and understanding what I'm saying, even if you've got mental illness or brain damage or physical disability, you're still functioning to the level where you can understand what I'm saying. That's high functioning. So you are crushing it. No matter what your situation is, if you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, you're on top of the world. Really. How could you not trust that person? This is the conclusion I came to that basically almost turned off my worrying overnight. I'm trying to remember when this actually first occurred because it really was one of the few things in my life that changed rapidly. Like most of the improvements I've made in my confidence were very gradual and small piece-by-piece movements. But stopping worrying happened very quickly. Can't remember exactly when. I do have one memory popping up right now. I was sitting at my desk. uh, This is only within the last five years or something. I was just started my business and things weren't going, I don't know, particularly well. Financially. I was looking at a dismal bank account and having to consider going into part-time work and, you know, not exactly crushing it, financially speaking. And then I just did this thing where I just looked up in the middle of my worry and my anxiety and looked at the ceiling and realized I've got a roof over my head. And I carried on that train of thought and I realized, well, that roof is going to stay over my head for quite some time. I'm paid up with the rent for at least a month or a week, or whatever it was. And so, even if I miss the next rent payment, it'll be quite some time before I actually get evicted. And even if I did get evicted, I could just move back in with my parents. And I went through this kind of like train of thought, and I realized it's going to be quite some time before I'm homeless. Like, things would have to go badly without me making any sort of strategic improvements, without me reacting well to anything for quite some time before I was really at the place that I'm scared of being at, that thing I'm worrying about, being totally, actually broke. And so why was I worrying about it now when that's so far off and I'm doing the best I can? And it just clicked. I'm like, I've been broke tons of times, and yet I'm still here. This is like the 50th time I'm broke. 100th time I've broke. Fuck, it might have been the 500th time I've broke. What's the likelihood I'm going to get through this time as well? Well, I've got through every other time. I'm still not homeless. I'm probably going to get through this one. And I just realized that like, that's the facts. That's the truth. No matter what I'm worried about, I've probably been through it a bunch of times. And I came out the other side. You're worried about getting rejected when you ask someone out. Well, you, you know you've survived every single rejection you've had, right? Which means the likelihood of this next one killing you is very fucking small. The likelihood of you even suffering for a long time is very small. You're just going to have it, it won't be pleasant, and then you'll move on with your life like you did every other time, and you're fine. So you don't trust yourself to handle the unexpected, and yet the facts are clear. You've succeeded all your life. So choosing to worry is choosing to live in a fiction. So worrying is really a choice about focus. 
You can't choose the thoughts and feelings that just occur to you, that kind of first wave that pops up, first bit of worry, that first bit of anxiety. It just kind of happens to you. You don't exactly order it up, though some people do look for reasons to worry, what Brené Brown calls pain shopping. But most of us just sit in there and then something provokes us to start worrying. Now that, that's not your fault. You can't deal, you know, you can't stop that. You'll be doing that for the rest of your life. But then there's this little moment where you choose to believe that you won't be able to handle it. You choose to believe that, and you have to choose to believe that because that flies, that belief flies in the face of facts. You've handled things all your life. So to believe that you can't handle things, is, it's like choosing to believe in Santa Claus even though you know he's not real. There's no evidence for him, but you're just going to choose to believe in him. You're kind of forcing yourself to believe in something that is untrue. It's like if you had a horse that won every single race that it ever raced, and you thought, oh god, he's going to lose the next one, you know, and he's got a track record of 900 wins in a row, that's a really unfair prediction, isn't it? Sure, he could lose the next one, but it's a 1 in 901 chance. It's not really fair to say that's the most likely thing to happen. And yet that's what you do with your worrying. You choose the thing that's least likely to happen and you focus on it as if it's the most likely. When the most likely thing is that however it goes, you'll handle it. That's the most likely thing that's going to happen with anything you're worried about. You know? There's a friend of mine who, you know, with the coronavirus and all that, she keeps getting bumped around and it's hard to move and get her career sorted and all that. And she's so worried about it. And yet for the last 15 years of her life, that's been the pattern. Lots of moving around, lots of changing jobs, finances going up and down. She's handled it for over a decade. And she thinks the next one's going to break her? Come on. She's like a fucking expert at it. It's like I get all worried when I have to move house. Like it's going to be some big drama. I'm like, I've moved house, I don't know how many times, 20 times in my life? What's the likelihood I'm going to handle 21? Given that 20 went as well as they need to go. Like I live through them. And I'm, I've got a roof over my head now, so it all worked out in the end. Right? I posted a question on Facebook the other day. I said, you know, what's the lie you need to stop telling yourself? And one guy wrote uh, that it's going to be okay in the end. He thinks it's bad to tell himself that. And I thought about that. I thought, no, that's an accurate thing to tell yourself because it is okay. You're okay right now, which means this is the end right now. This is the final point in your life this very second, then the next second, then the next. You're at the very end of your life. And if you're okay now, that means it did end up okay. And by okay, I don't mean that you're not suffering. But the suffering is probably only taking place inside your mind. Most of you are probably just listening to this while sitting comfortably. Or, you know, maybe you're on a train or you're driving to work. Or some of you, I know, you listen to me when you go on bike rides and shit like that. You're fine. Yeah, absolutely. No matter what happened to you in your life, where you are right now is the end result of that. And you're fine. Look up. Do you have a ceiling over your head? Or do you have enough money in your wallet to buy your next meal? Are you going to be okay? For the next couple of hours? I mean, are you listening to me when somebody's got a gun in your mouth and they're counting down to when they're going to pull the trigger? No. You're fine. And everything you've ever done has led up to this moment of you being fine. 
And yet you think, oh, I should worry about the future. Why? It doesn't make sense. It's like someone winning every hand of poker and worried about the next hand. It it doesn't make sense to worry. Sure, one day, something's going to kill you. But here's the thing. I I got this from watching The Sopranos, actually, or or a uh, documentary about The Sopranos, the TV series. One of the characters mused, like, if you get shot, because of the speed of sound and everything, if you get shot in the head, you won't actually hear the shot. You'll be dead before the sound reaches your ears. I thought that's an interesting, almost a kind of peaceful thought, which is odds are when I die, it'll happen at a speed where I won't be able to know it's happened. One day the lights will just go out and I won't even be able to experience lights going out. I'll just stop existing. So why would I be worried about that? And if it is a long drawn out death, so to speak, a long painful one, well, I'll handle it until I can't anymore. That, that, that's exactly what's going to happen. Let's say I have some horrendous bout of cancer with chemotherapy and pain and suffering. Well, I'll just keep handling that, and then one day I won't be able to anymore, and that'll be it. Lights out. So I either handle it or I die. Those are my two options for everything that's ever going to happen. So what am I worried about? What does worrying add to this of, of any benefit? Some of you will think you've survived this long because of worrying. You'll give worry the credit, like it was planning or preparation of some kind. I want you to ask yourself something. Could you have survived without it? It's a genuine question. I don't know the answer. It's not a hypothetical question. I really don't know. I'll never know because, you know, I'll never be able to have the life of no worry. I've, I've had a life where I worried a lot. Did that save me? I don't know. But I suspect not. Remember, worrying and planning are different. One of the ways we can see that difference is that my favorite model of a person is a psychopath. Psychopaths are incapable of worrying. They literally don't have that function in the brain. Psychopaths never regret the past. They never worry about the future. They don't have anxiety. They don't have depression ever. They never. The heart never skips a beat in anticipation for something. They just. Can you imagine just not having that function at all? No matter what was coming up, no matter how big of a deal it was, you'd never worry about it. It was always just the same. It's kind of mundane, I guess, but they seem to be okay with it. And because of that, they actually react to things going wrong remarkably well, a lot better than non-psychopathic people. And there's plenty of evidence for this. If you want more, read the book uh, The Wisdom of Psychopaths by Jim Dutton. So a psychopath, they'll have a plan, but when the plan goes off, they adapt instantly. They go from being on plan to completely new spontaneous reactions instantly. They don't stop and go, oh fuck, it's gone wrong. They don't get all like panicky, like, oh shit, this isn't the way I thought it would go. They just react. They just completely change plan. They drop the old plan, take up a new one, nanoseconds, instantly. And they're very successful at what they do, especially intelligent psychopaths. You know, those in the the sort of higher range of IQ. These are the people that run countries. These are the people that own the stock market, you know. These are the people, I mean, some of them are quite vicious, but others are just really high-functioning. They're car salesmen and CEOs and lawyers and surgeons and 
military personnel, and they crush it. They're very, very successful. High success rates in task completion. And yet, without any worrying. I noticed this when I was dancing, especially learning to dance at the beginning. If I thought about what the move I was trying to do, it's like the thoughts trip me up. They get in the way physically somehow. And I'd be less capable of doing, especially like a new move. But if I just kind of practice the move and then just let my body do it without thinking about it, without worrying, I'm more likely to do it well. It's like thinking isn't even involved in learning. I just keep repeating the process and my body kind of learns it somehow. Worrying just slows that down. And I highly suspect, given the evidence around psychopathy and my own experiences in learning something that I'm worried about versus learning something I'm not worried about, worrying doesn't actually help, it harms. It slows us down. It creates a delay, a kind of fog that we have to get through to do the thing that we could always do anyway. Like worrying, I don't think, adds any skill. How could it? You're not gaining any training or experience or practice. You're just thinking about something with what you already know. Think about like if I try to learn a language, like I'm trying to learn Czech at the moment, if I just sit there worrying about how hard it is to learn Czech, that's not going to put any new words in my head. That's not going to give me any grammar instruction. Because it's only my own mind. There's only the information that's already in there. I can't possibly add wisdom by worrying because I'm only working with the color palette that I've already set up. I need new colors to paint a better picture. And to get new colors, I have to actually go and do stuff. So I think it's pretty fair to assume, hypothesize, that worrying is unhelpful, generally. And that you would not only be as successful, but more if you didn't worry. But a lot of you will feel that worrying is automatic and uncontrollable. You'll feel that it's not a choice. But it's because you feel that way that you don't see that it is a choice. I want to try and give you now some practical tips on making it that choice and being able to control it a bit. One of the first ones I want to refer to is Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. It's a very old psychological model, but it's not really outdated. I think it's still quite relevant. And I use it myself to help my clients decide on where they should focus their attention. I won't go into great detail with it. You can look it up for yourself. But essentially, it's a pyramid of the human needs going in order. And like a pyramid, you need to focus on the bottom level first. You First, you build the foundation, and then you build on top of it. So you, could, you don't jump ahead to a higher level when you haven't got the bottom level sorted. And this can be a way to help focus from worrying to actually doing something. So let's say you're just sort of generally worried about your life. The first question you ask is, well, what's happening with my physiological needs? Am I getting enough food and water? Am I getting enough sleep? Do I have shelter? Do I have my basic survival needs met? If that's the case, then you kind of tick off that layer. Physiological needs met. Nothing to worry about there. At least not right now. You can do it on a week-by-week basis. I've actually designed a little kind of survey, what would you call it, a questionnaire, I guess, that you can fill out, and then you'll be able to figure out where on the hierarchy you need to be focused. So if you're interested in doing that, just email me, dan at brojo.org, and I'll flick that through to you. It can help you make decisions. So after you've got physiological needs, then you've got safety and security needs. 
this is everything from like you know is someone going to be beating me up today or you know do i have a lock for my front door do i have insurance for my health these are kind of the basic things you need to to protect yourself beyond kind of the things you can't control like you're never going to be able to protect yourself from a meteor hitting the earth and crushing you or someone running you over on the road but you might have some immediate safety concerns like there's maybe there's someone dangerous in your life that you need to protect yourself from or maybe uh you've got some financial significant financial problems that need to be resolved so you look at that area you go is there anything immediately that needs to be dealt with there and so on and you go up through the areas the next one's social and connection the one after that is esteem and confidence and the one at the top is self-actualization you might say mission and values and you go up starting at the bottom you go up until you hit a problem a real problem that's happening right now not an imagined one not one in the future that could happen but one you can say look there it is and somebody else would confirm it yeah i can see it it's there you'd be able to show it to someone and it's outside of your mind as soon as you hit that you just stop there you go okay i don't need to look at the rest of the pyramid i don't need to go up any further found one of the lower levels there's an issue and until i deal with that i don't need to worry about any higher level issues i don't need to worry about whether or not i'm living by my values if my physical injuries aren't being treated accordingly right i've got to get my physical injuries sorted first i've got to get to the doctor you know i've got, I've got safety and security needs here or like if i'm really lonely and i've got no friends i don't need to worry about you know my artistic expression just yet because that's a higher level like esteem need i need to i need to just focus on connecting with people so there's no need to worry because you've identified the problem at the lowest possible level the thing that's going to have the highest leverage for you so you just focus on that next most important thing and you leave the rest for another day because they can't even be touched until you get this lower level issue at least kind of maintained if not solved and then once you've identified that you've got to ask yourself what can i do about it and move the focus from worrying to planning and as you're planning it out your brain's going to keep throwing things at you that could go wrong and when that happens you've got to ask yourself will i be able to handle that given the experiences i've had the rest of my life will i handle that and if not then what's my plan it'll be very rare that there'll be something comes up that you think oh i'm definitely not going to be able to handle that i've never handled anything like that before and the evidence shows that it will definitely kill me that's rare though your brain will claim that that happens a lot more than you think it does than it actually happens but even if that happens and you come up with a plan you know like well you know let's say this gang is after me and they want to kill me well I'll, I'll go to the police then get some protection or i'll run away to the other end of the country now, there's still something you can do worrying about it doesn't add anything to this just what are you going to do about it and the thing is you don't even need to challenge the rationality of your paranoia just test it if your brain's like oh my god you're running out of money you're like, okay well if i wake up tomorrow and i'm homeless then i'll deal with it so we'll just wait and see when it happens i'll deal with it that's something i always I, I tell myself like when i'm worried about stuff i go is it currently happening no okay well then i'll deal with it when it does it's like someone pestering me to get a task done but it's not urgent I'm like well when it's urgent i'll do it 
when it's actually real, I'll do it. See, I'm not telling my brain I'm never going to do it. I'm not saying leave me alone completely. I'm just saying, look, it's not happening yet, so why are you telling me about this now? Tell me about it when it's happening. Come back to me. When your brain goes, oh, no, you're going to run out of money. Open up your app. Look at your bank account. Does it say zero? No. Okay, then it's not actually happening yet. So brain, look, come back to me when this says zero and we'll deal with it. What do you find? It almost never says zero. The next thing, you've got to set like a boundary with yourself that you're never allowed to go backwards in the decision-making process. I won't go into the details now. I've got a whole... Uh, I've got a whole podcast and an online course that's free for how to use the 3x model of confidence, which talks through how to make decisions. But in sort of basic summary, you go from brainstorming all your options, narrowing it down to the most reasonable or best options, and then finally coming to a conclusion of one that you're going to move forward with. Once you get to there, you're not allowed to go backwards. No overthinking. Once you know of one thing you could possibly do, That's the end of thinking time. You now need to go and attempt that action. So if you're sitting there going, oh God, what am I going to do for a job? And you look at all the various options, you're like everything from working at McDonald's through to starting your own business. You narrow it down to the things that are most likely that you could actually control right now. Maybe you end up with working at McDonald's. Once you get there, go and send an application into McDonald's before you revisit your other career options. Don't go backwards after that. Maybe you'll never work at McDonald's, that's fine, but always move forwards. Take the action, then come back to thinking after you've measured the action. Tiny experiments with little rests so that every thought is balanced with action. You don't have more thinking and planning than you have action time. You can even do it on a timer. You go, okay, I give myself 30 minutes to think about this. Not worry about it, but think about it. At the end of the 30 minutes, I have to do something. Even if I don't have a clear idea at the end of the 30 minutes, I'm just going to have to randomly pick something and just try it for 30 minutes. Let's say you get to the, or maybe you're thinking about exercise, and, oh, should I do upper body, should I do lower, should I do calisthenics or weights, and you're sitting there thinking about it, so you think about it for 30 minutes, and in 30 minutes you're like, okay, do something, fuck it, go for a run, do a handstand, do some squats, anything for 30 minutes. Then you revisit, okay, how did I feel about that? And you'll notice that your worrying will start to bleed away as you realize that you're always going to try something, figure out what happened, try again, and just work your way through the process. So next time you're worrying, which is defined as not planning, but thinking about something, imagining something in the future that could go wrong, and feeling the reaction to that going wrong, Stop and say to yourself, I'm choosing to do this, even though I'm totally trustworthy and can handle the unknown, as proven by my life up until this point. Then your next move, maybe you go through the Maslow hierarchy of needs. What is the one thing I need to focus on next, you ask yourself? Or maybe just do a little planning, like, what's one tiny action I could take to move forward with this? Or maybe you just look at it and you think, you know, this thing I'm worrying about, hasn't actually happened and there's no evidence that it is going to happen it's just something i'm imagining so i'm not even going to do anything about it i'm going to tell my brain look come back when this actually happens and just see how you go because i'm telling you worrying is a choice anxiety is not a choice thoughts popping into your mind that's not a choice 
but reacting to them by worrying instead of planning or taking action, that's a choice. And you don't have to make that choice. You don't have to sit there sweating. You can move forward and you can keep doing that until one day you see the proof, hey, I never needed to worry. It's always been a waste of time. If you need any more help with that, get in touch, dan at brojo.org, and I'll see you guys next time. Cheers.